أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters and welcome to session number 17 of the A Lesson Per Page Quran program we reached page number 76 and inshallah that is where we will begin today page number 76 don't be fooled by all the hustle and bustle so um, it's easy for us to feel left out, you know, when we look around us in this day and age, we see all of the advancement and every day a new device coming out, every day a new update to devices coming out. And it's so easy to feel like you have fallen behind. It's so easy to feel like you're missing out on things. Um, even if you have all the money in the world, still you feel like you're falling behind, let alone if you don't have all the money in the world, there are so many products coming out, there are so many things going on, all the opportunities, uh, and so on and so forth. The Qur'an speaks about this a little bit, it brings this up, the hustle and bustle, brings it up and uh, lets us, uh, and gives us some advice here, gives us uh, one or two points to calm us down a little bit and tells us to like relax. So let's recite the verse uh, in this regard, and then, or the verse is, in this regard, and then uh, discuss the matter. Verses 196 to 198 of Surah Al-Imran. لكن الذين اتقوا ربهم لهم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها نزلا من عند الله وما عند الله خير للأبرار Never be misled by the bustle of the faithless in the towns. Alright, so um, you see all of the faithless ones, the ones who are against Allah, the ones who know the truth but they're not interested in it, what do you find them doing? Hustle and bustle, you know, going in and out, back and forth, doing so much, getting so much done, accomplishing so many things. It says never, don't be misled. You're watching them like be so successful. Don't be misled by all this. Now in the towns, the Quran says, back then it was in the towns, you know, these merchants would go to different towns, cities, um, travel long distances, trade, and, and come back to their, uh, come back with huge profits, come back to their homes. Uh, so back then it was towns. Now maybe a person can say, never be misled by the bustle of the faithless in Silicon Valley, for example. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's verse 196. 197, it is a small enjoyment, then their refuge is Jahannam, and it is an evil resting place. Now, of course, this is once again talking about those kuffar of the time of the Prophet who were turning away from the truth when they knew, knew it was truth. I don't want anyone to think that this applies to every non-Muslim today. This is something that our scholars have made clear. It depends on how much the truth has been established for them as truth. I've said this again and again. But all in all, we will find people who um, are problematic we find that they're very successful. We find them going around and, you know, getting stuff done and all that, which is good. I mean, in a sense, but all in all, all in all, this should not be something that bothers us too much because uh, 
Here it says, their refuge is Jahannam. That's where they're going to end up. Verse 198, But those who are weary of their Lord, for them shall be gardens with streams running in them, to remain in forever, a hospitality from Allah, and what is with Allah is better for the pious. Okay, so as I said, you will have so much going on in this life, and you're just like, man, I'm missing out on so much. Look at, look at all the success being achieved by others. Well, that's good. But if these people are people who know the truth, yet they're just not embracing it, then their hustle and bustle shouldn't dishearten you and make you feel like you're missing out on something. They're going to be missing out on something. Why? Because it's in the end, what does verse number 198 say? It reminds us that we are going to be those who are of faith, those who are on the true path, inshallah, they are the ones who will uh, enjoy eternity forever. At the end of the day, these people, their hustle and bustle, them, I don't know, making millions and millions on the New York Stock Exchange floor, for example, whatever, that's just an example, okay? I'm not saying they're all bad people, I'm just saying uh, the fact that there are so many opportunities out there. One day this stock goes up, one day that metal goes up, gold or silver or whatever. There's so many places to travel. Every day, uh, you know, a new place is discovered that is, is on the 100 places I want to visit before I die list, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> There's a, so many opportunities now to get big on social media and find, get followers and likes and all of that. So much money out there to gain. All these books on how to become a millionaire, how to become a billionaire, whatever. Right? All of this noise hustle and bustle, look, it's all temporary. The verse is saying, those who are wary of their Lord, they have, they, they are, they have taqwa, alladhina taqaw, for them, one word, brothers and sisters, one word, remain in forever. This hustle and bustle, if it entails forever, then we're good. But if it does not entail forever, which it doesn't of course, then I'm not interested. Not interested in the sense of, I mean, if it's, if it's easily accessible to me in a halal way, why not? But, usually that's not the case, number one. Number two, I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket and make and sacrifice my akhirah for it. That is, the main, that is the main problem, that is the main concern. And this is something that has come up again and uh, again and again in previous uh, pages that we've discussed. Look at uh, the likes of Ayatollah Bahjat. I use his example a lot. You would go to his salat, you would see him walk in, and he was lead, he wants to lead salat, right? So he walks into his masjid. Very humble, old school masjid that he had. He would walk in, sit in his place in the mihrab, you know, where he le would lead the prayer. Take out that little cloth pouch that he had, open it up. In it, he had a wooden comb, right? Maybe a tasbih, uh, you know, subha beads, and maybe a torba that he would use to pray on, maybe. And maybe like a little perfume or something, and his, some of his rings that he would wear in salat. Okay? That was, that was what he had in there. For him, that was his everything. Like, that's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> oh, don't let all the, uh, all the lights and the flashy stuff get, you know, take, take your focus off of what really matters. Ayatollah Bahjat is after eternity. Right? And so I find that very inspirational. 
the fact that he, that's all he, is, he has. Did you know you're missing out on the latest cutting-edge technology, Ayatollah Bahja? Did you know there's so much going on in the world? He's like, yeah, but uh, there's a problem here. It all comes with the word temporary. I'm not interested in temporary. I'm interested in eternity. And you find this same, uh, you find this same message and notion in the words of Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, in Nahj al-Balagha especially. Very powerful words he has um, when it comes to getting it right regarding uh, eternity and akhirah and, and blessings that don't end. This You find this again and again in Nahj al-Balagha. Imam Ali pointing out the fact that, look, I'm not interested in anything temporary. No matter how good it's going to be. So uh, this is one of those, I would say this is one of those very important perspective verses of the Qur'an that give us perspective. Alright, so that with that we are uh, done with Surah to Ali Imran and we move into Surah to Nisa. Yes, Nisa meaning the women. The reason why... Um, the reason why this uh, surah is called Nisa, uh, as I've said before, I don't want to get into all the details of all the different topics that are discussed in a surah, um, but uh, we will discuss why the name has been put on on, on these surahs. And so, for, for example, Surah Tun-Nisa is called Surah Tun-Nisa because in it there are a lot of rulings that are discussed regarding inheritance, regarding the family, and they have... a, a a lot to do with the women. And so, as a result, this surah is referred to as Surah Tunisa. Now, I'm not, I can't say 100%, but I'm pretty sure this is one of the surahs that has a lot and maybe the most, maybe the most uh, legal rulings of Islam in it. The rulings of inheritance like get really tough sometimes to also figure out and stuff. There are most of them, or a lot of them, are in this surah as well, as I said. But uh, let's, uh, and I will try to, you know, keep it to uh, the, the lessons that we discuss in this surah, keep them to, you know, non-legal ones, but there will be some legal ones as well that I think the brothers and sisters will be um, interested in hearing about as well. So let's move on to page number uh, 77. Page number 77 of the Holy Qur'an. Yeah, it speaks about the origin of all mankind. So, is it true uh, that we have uh, that uh, Eve or Hawa, the wife of Prophet Adam, she was made from the rib of Prophet Adam? So that's something that we want to uh, discuss. I think it's a little important, uh, not too important to figure out the origin of Hawa, the wife of Prophet Adam. But I think it is good to know there are certain details here when it comes to the Islamic narrative and more particularly the Shi'i narrative in this regard. So let us recite the verse first and then get into those details. Verse number one of Surah 2 and Nisa. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُم مِّن نَفْسٍ وَاحِدَةٍ وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا O mankind, 
Be wary of your Lord who created you from a single soul and created its mate from it. And from the two of them scattered numerous men and women, rijalan kathira, numerous, yeah, or many men and women. Be wary of Allah in whose name you adjure one another. In other words, be wary of Allah, the one who you are asking about from each other. So be wary of Allah and the wombs, arham. Here, wombs, arham is referring to, according to our scholars, is referring to the blood relatives of a person, those who eventually go back to a shared womb, those who are related to each other such that somewhere uh, up the, the family tree that they're from, yeah, they reach one mother, one woman, one womb. Okay. Indeed, Allah is watchful over you. All right, so before we get into this whole story of, you know, the origin of Hawa and where Hawa comes from, is it the rib of Prophet Adam salam or not? There is one explanation I just want to give regarding this verse before we get into that. And that is that this surah, as I said, is full of legal rulings of Islam. And so people need to have God wariness, or some say God consciousness, taqwa. Yeah, they have to care about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have to be concerned about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's satisfaction. In order to live up to these legal rulings, a person who doesn't care about Allah's obedience and serving Allah won't really take these or these verses or this surah very seriously. It's full of legal rulings. And so the ver so the surah begins with it uh, what is it? It begins with that. All right, I'm about to. It's as if the surah is saying, "Hey, people, I'm about to give you a ton of legal rulings, and you better try your best to be as God weary and muttaqi as possible, or else you won't be able to live up to the responsibilities that I'm going to be telling you in this surah." You have verses about others' rights. You have verses about inheritance. You have verses about orphans, family issues. As I said. Since all of these, most if not all of the rulings in this surah are social ones, they have to do with others. The surah begins with ittaqurabbakum, you know, have taqwa, you know, be God weary. And to motivate us more, because the rulings that are going to be shared with us have to do with others and dealing with others and financial matters regarding others and so on, what does the surah do? It reminds us that look. You all come from one couple, right? You all come from one couple and one man and woman, yes? And that was the, uh, that was the title of the slide. The origin of all mankind was a single couple. So um, reminding you that this is the case. Why? Because this will make it easier for you. This will make it easier for you to... Uh, have that taqwa in regards to the social rulings we're about to share with you. Okay, so having said that, let's talk about this part that says created its mate from it. Okay, as you can see, there's a pronoun here. It says it, and that it goes back to the single soul that um, uh, Prophet Adam was uh, was created from. Okay. Uh, so to speak. Now there's an explanation here. Yes. 
So it's saying, if we, if I want to explain the translation, it says, look, the Lord created you, all of you people, from a single soul, from a single, let's say, person, and that's Prophet Adam I think the Mufassirin unanimously accept that the single soul here is Prophet Adam. And then the verse says, and created its mate from that single soul. So if that single soul is Prophet Adam, it means that the, that the spouse of that person was also created from that same person. This implies that she was created from Prophet Adam. Okay, I will go over this one more time because it's, it's, it's important. The verse says, we created all of you people from one person, from one soul, and from that one soul, which is Prophet Adam, we also created its mate, meaning uh, Hawa. From it, from it meaning who? From Prophet Adam. So this implies, it seems, that the verse is saying that Hawa, the same way we were all created from that single soul of Prophet Adam, Hawa is also created from that single soul, that single person, which is Prophet Adam. Now we were created through a reproduction and copulation, but Hawa, well, how was she? She wasn't born from Prophet Adam. So she came from the rib, they'll say, of Prophet Adam. Now, do we accept this or not? Let's talk about this a little bit. Before that though, I do want to bring to all of your attention that this is a story that we find in the Old Testament. In Genesis, yes, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, I'm going to read it to you, to you really quickly so you get an idea of what we find in the Old Testament. It says that, uh, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. This man here is Prophet Adam, okay? And while he slept, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the area with flesh. That's verse 21. 22. And from the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her to him. 20, verse 23. And the man said, This is now um, a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Or, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For out of man she was taken. So the fact that you call her woman is because she comes from man. Okay, so these we find in the book of Genesis of the Old Testament. Now we do have hadiths that's, that say the same thing, but our scholars, at least in the Shi'i school of thought, uh, they have rejected these hadiths because they are weak and we, feel, and we believe that they are made up. And this happens a lot. Um, when we have narratives in the Judaic uh, uh, tradition, or in the old, the, the tradition of the Old Testament, let's say, these will sometimes make their way into the Islamic Hadith corpus, and will be seen as is the, the Islamic narrative. Which, while that's not the case, and this is a this is something called the Israeliyat. We have a whole discussion in Hadith Sciences or Tafsir Sciences of the Israeliyat, meaning what? Meaning those, those, those stories that have made their way into the Islamic tradition through Hadiths that were made up and fabricated based on stories in the Old Testament. You'll have a ton of them. For example, in the story of Prophet Yusuf, 
Prophet Yusuf sometimes is painted, the, pic, the picture painted of him in some hadiths might not be one of a prophet when he was with Zulaikha. Here our scholars will dismiss those hadiths. They say these are made up. These were, these were fabricated off of the, the, the uh, narrative of the Old Testament, you know, and things like that. So these are referred to as Israeliyat. Anyway, these hadiths also, some of our main scholars have pointed out that these are Israeliyat. They're not, they're not uh, authentic hadiths that we have. And what really finishes the job and puts the nail in the coffin in regards to this discussion is that we have a very similar wording for this matter, which is the creation of mankind, we have similar wording in other verses of the Qur'an and in those cases they're very clear what is meant. Okay, So I'm going to share those two verses with you that have said the same thing that this verse is saying. خَلَقَ minha zawjaha, That was created from that nafs, from that soul, from that person, its mate. We'll have the same wording for other things which we are sure they didn't come from the rib of the other or a body part of the other. So you'll understand what I'm trying to say as I explain through these two verses, these two examples. Okay. The first one, the first one is Surah Rum, verse twenty-one. It says, "Wamin ayatihi an khalaq lakum min anfusikum azwajan litaskunu ilayha." That one of his signs, one of Allah's signs, is that He created from yourselves spouses. Brother or sister who is watching this, I have a question for you. Did your wife or husband come from your rib or from any part of your body for, for that matter? No. But the same wording is used here. Min anfusikum. Over there it says min nafsin wahida. Here it says min anfusikum. So here for sure that is not what is meant. But the, word, the same wording is used. To imply what? To imply that we have created all of you from the same source, from the same soul. You all come from one origin. You're all from of the same genre. You're all human beings. right? They're, your spouses are one of you. They are one of you. Not that we got your spouses from your ribs. Everyone knows that my wife, my husband, whatever it is, they didn't come from my ribs. <laughs> we know that for sure. They came from mommy and daddy. But the same wording is used here. So if the same wording is used here that is used in this verse that we're discussing, verse number one of Surah An-Nisa, it shows that what is meant there, right? This is according to our great scholars. What is meant there is that Hawa, Eve, they call her, wasn't created from the rib necessarily of Prophet Adam. No, she is, she is also from the same origin and source that Prophet Adam comes from. She is one of us. She is one of humankind. She, she just like Prophet Adam, was uh, of, uh, of the same human race. Yes? And at core and essence, they are, they are the same. Alright, so that is what it's, saying, what it's saying. That's one verse, Surah Rum, verse 21. But we have another one too, Surah Nahl, verse 73. Same story again. Wallahu ja'ala lakum min anfusikum azwaja. And Allah has set for you and maybe created for you from yourselves spouses and mates. Does that mean that they're from the rib, from our ribs? No. <laughs> or from anywhere of us? No. This, it's just saying that you're all 
uh, human beings, you're all mankind, and you are all from the same source and origin. You are from yourselves. All right, so that kind of thing. So these verses, these two verses, help us understand this verse that we're discussing now so that we can dismiss this idea of, oh, she was she came from his rib or something like that. And then some people use this to, sh to say that Islam is looking down on her or is like trying to say that she's inferior to him or anything like that. No, I think the wording here in the Quran is very beautiful. Um, I, I do feel that the wording in Genesis, in the book of Genesis is also clear in the sense that she's created from his rib. We don't, uh, we don't believe in that. We are all uh, insan at the end of the day and we all come from one root and source. All right, page number 78. Who in their right mind eats fire, for God's sake? So, um, what's going on here? This is one of those important verses, and there are other similar verses uh, to this one as well, where the verse reveals to us something deep, something that if we, we usually aren't paying attention to, it tells us the reality of things, the way they really are versus the way we think they are. Okay, although the verse doesn't open it up too much, but those who are you know smart enough, those who are paying enough attention, they pick up this matter uh, that the verse is mentioning. So we'll talk about that. Inshallah. Let's, re let's recite the verse. Verse number ten of Surah um, Surah Tun Nisa. And we're on page 78. Indeed, those who consume the property of orphans wrongfully only ingest fire into their bellies and soon they will enter the blaze. Okay, so they've got fire inside, and they're going to enter the blaze, which is fire from the outside. So it's all fire. I don't know who wants that, but anyway. So before I get into that deep matter that the verses are discussing, indirectly of course, I do want to say this, that it's talking about the, uh, the wealth and property of orphans. Orphans, who are usually minors as well, um, they... Um, what happens is they don't have uh, what it takes to take care of themselves, to take care of their property. Others have to come help them usually. And those people who come to help them, they have a huge responsibility to, uh, to take care of this trust that it, and this responsibility that's on their shoulders now. You cannot take advantage of the vulnerability and weakness of the orphans. Like that, that is as, as bad and as worse as it gets, really. To take advantage of the orphans. You can take advantage of someone else. Go ahead, whatever. I'm not, say, I'm not encouraging that, of course, but I'm saying like, if you're going to choose, don't choose the orphan of all people. Why? Because you're, we have to be careful not to mess with a person who only has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a protector. And this is something that we have in our hadiths. I want to share with you a super important hadith. Those of us who... Now the, the hadith doesn't speak of orphans in particular. It speaks of anyone who only has Allah as their protector. 
Okay, so that is something that we have to keep in mind. If you are going to school and you're a bully, and you bully a kid who has no one to help them, then you better be very careful. Because God, in Farsi we say, Chube Khuda Seda Nadare. That stick of God doesn't make noise. When He beats you, He'll beat you to, in a way that you won't even know where you got hit from. He'll leave it for later maybe. But you will probably pay the price in this dunya, in this dunya even, before going to the akhirah. Right? If you're a bully, if you are harming people that have no, no one to help them, if, if it's orphans, if it's widows, if it's whoever it is, if they only have Allah as their protector, then that's going to be a problem for, 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 for that person who is hurting them and oppressing them. We have a hadith by Imam al-Baqir He says, That when it was time for Imam al-Sajjad to leave this dunya, so Imam Baqir is speaking about his father, Imam al-Sajjad. Dhammani ila sadrihi, he, you know, he uh, hugged me and stuck me to his chest. Thumma qala ya bunayya usika bima awsani bihi abi. He says, I am going to give you words of advice. I'm going to give you some last words that my father, al Hussein gave me. Hina hadaratul wafat. This, when, when, when death had reached him and it was time for him to leave this dunya. So maybe this is something that Imam Hussein told Imam al-Sajjad in the tents before he left for that final battle uh, all alone against the army of Ibn Ziyad and Umar ibn Sa'd So he says, I'm going to give you the same words that he gave me. Well, what are they? وَبِمَا ذَكَّرْ أَنَّ أَبَاهُ أَوْصَاهُ بِهِ قَالْ يَا بُنَيْ إِيَّاكَ وَظُلْمَ مَنْ لَا يَجِدُ عَلَيْكَ نَاصِرًا إِلَّا اللَّهِ Be very careful, my son. Be very, very careful of oppressing the one who has no one to help them except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when the only one who can help is Allah, then that means Allah is going to help. Allah has everything it takes to destroy you, to make you miserable. So don't do that. Don't don't enter such territory where you have to, where the one you have to fight, or the one who wants to fight you, is Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Okay, so that's regarding uh, this sin of taking advantage of the vulnerability or the weakness of the orphans and and devouring their wealth. But look at what is awaiting these people who do such a sin. What is awaiting them? Okay, is the blaze of of Yamul Qiyamah, of course. But look, it's saying that they are devouring fire. They are putting fire in their bellies, right? If they are putting fire in their bellies, this can be interpreted in one or two, one of two ways. That we say on the day of judgment, Allah is going to burn their stomachs because they devoured the wealth of the orphans here. That's one way of saying it. But there is a more accurate way of saying it. And that is, and it has to do with the embodiment of our actions, brothers and sisters. Tajseemul a'mal, they call it. Which is that, no, it's not like you did something bad in this life. On the day of judgment, Allah will create a fire and then put it in your belly. No, 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 no. That wealth that you are putting in you, that wealth that you're consuming right now, 
is fire. You just don't feel it yet because you haven't been taken to where you can feel it. But right now the fire is, 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 is burning in you. This is called embodiment of the actions. In other words, uh, it's like, you know, back in the day, uh, at least in the 90s, I don't know if this is a thing anymore, but back in the 90s, there was this thing that, you know, it was pretty cool. It was like, you know, in the movie theaters, they had these movies that you could watch in 3D. You'd wear those glasses, those funky glasses that what had one red lens and one blue lens. And so all of a sudden, you know, things in the screen were popping out. Nowadays, I know technology has advanced a lot, so you don't have to wear those little paper uh, frames anymore to watch those movies. But anyway, now I don't know what they got going on. They got some crazy stuff going on in this day and age uh, when it comes to like these 3D movies and 3D experiences that you can have. But anyway, let's not get carried off here. It's kind of like that. The same movie, someone else might be watching the same movie. They don't have the right glasses on, so they just see a two-dimensional movie. You have the right glasses on, you see a three-dimensional movie. And so this person, the, the one who sees it in 2D, they can't be like, oh, this is a, there's a, this is a, a, just a normal movie. No, it's not a normal movie. It has what it takes. You don't have what it takes right now, right? To understand it, to experience it. If you get the right glasses, you will understand that this same movie is in 3D, actually. You got to change your glasses, my friend. And so here also, when it says that they are ingesting fire, it's not, according to our scholars, it is not metaphorical. It's not saying it's like they're eating fire. No, no, no. It's saying they are, as a matter of fact, devouring fire. But they're not feeling it. Well, you just wait. They'll feel it, right? If they just have the right glasses on, they'll feel it as well. And so if we understand our actions and deeds in such light, brothers and sisters, I want to draw a very important conclusion here. If we understand that this is a real thing, the embodiment of our actions on the Day of Judgment. It's a real thing. It's not like we've done some things here and then those happened and you know time went on. And then on the Day of Judgment, Allah looks at our report card and is like, okay, you deserve this much punishment. Make this much fire for him. Make, make this much fire uh, for that person. How much fire would you like? Would you like a, a side of fries with that? You know, that kind of thing. No, no, no. That's not how it works. According to these great scholars of ours, these verses are... are showing us that it's the deed itself that I'm experiencing on the Day of Judgment. The fire that I'm having there is the actual devouring of the wealth of an orphan here. That's what it translates to. Verses of Surah Al-Insan, right? إِنَّ الْأَبْرَارَ يَشْرَبُونَ مِنْ كَأْسٍ كَانَ مِزَاجُهَا كَافُورًا يُفَجِّرُونَهَا تَفْجِيرًا Things like that. These verses, and then it says يُوفُونَ بِالنَّذْرِ these verses are very interesting discussions in regards to them and how the embodiment of the actions of those individuals, those the Ahlul Bayt, how those actions of Yufuna bin Nadr translate to and manifest in Yashrabuna min Ka'sin, they are drinking from a cup, right? They're fasting, they're giving their uh, iftar in the way of Allah. That translates to drinking cups from cups in, in the hereafter, from those special drinks, yeah? So there's, you find this notion across the Qur'an. But yeah, this understanding, this perspective is super important because it can solve some of the questions and problems that some people will have. 
and doubts that are caused as a result, these will go away and vanish if we have such a perspective. What am I talking about here? I'll give you one or two examples. For example, people will say, some people will say, um, why is Allah not kind to us? Why does He always talk about fire and, 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 and burning us in the hellfire and all of that? Well, first of all, that's not the case, okay? because there's a tons of verses that speak about Jannah, speak about God's mercy and forgiveness and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, this life is for real. It ain't no joke. You can't just come here and slack off either. All right, so Allah has to remind us that there is this is a serious matter. Life is a serious matter, and it is to be taken seriously. And so, he act, as a matter of fact, He is kind to us. Who says He's not kind? He is kind to us by letting us know that the bad deeds that we do here are equal the fire there. Not that the bad deeds we do here are one thing, and then on the day of judgment, he's like, okay, now it's time to get you back. Let me punish you. No, no, he's letting us know out of his kindness through the Quran, through the prophets who made all those sacrifices, who were killed by those who didn't like them. Through all these means, he is, through his kindness, he is letting us know, look, the bad things you do here, when you devour the wealth of an orphan, I am letting you know from now that this is fire in your belly. Watch out, be careful, have respect for yourself, love yourself, care for yourself, and don't let this happen to you. I'm letting you know. This is how the dunya is. I brought you here so that you do the good deeds because your good deeds equal the palaces and the foods and the, uh, uh, the mates and the ridwanum in Allah on the other side. right? But for that to be possible for you, the opposite is also going to be possible, that the bad deeds will also turn into those things that they are. Not even turn into those things, that's even a wrong way of saying it. They, w they will translate too and they will be those things that you will not like on the Day of Judgment. So out of His kindness, He's letting us know the link between our actions and the punishment that is to come. Alright? So, if that's that, I won't now say, oh, why is He always after trying to get revenge? Why is He always after trying to um, hurt us? No, He's not like that. He's letting us know our own actions are going to hurt us. And so as a result, another example I want to give, another uh, this perspective, another thing that it brings for us is that we begin to understand that we're not even supposed to fear Allah in that sense. In reality, who are we fearing? We have to fear our own actions. And that's what we have to fear. Right? So you see how a Qur'anic understanding of a verse can solve a lot of these problems that sometimes people have in regards to Allah and His kindness to us. And it also, it's verses like these that help us understand verses that speak of how, for example, they say the verse that says, وَإِنَّ جَهَنَّمَ لَمُحِيطَةٌ بِالْكَافِرِينَ Jahannam right, right, Jahannam right now is surrounding the kafirin, is encompassing the kafirin. Someone might say, how? They're not feeling it yet. The time hasn't come for them to feel it yet, but it's right now. Their kufr and turning away from the truth, although they know it's truth, Yes, that is what it translates to. It translates to uh, the fire being right around them and engulfing them right now, although they don't know. They, these types of verses, uh, I really love them, and I find them very to be very, very key and important in our total uh, worldview and outlook on things. Page number 79. Crossing the big red lines gets you into hellfire. So as I said, 
um, these pages, these verses of Surah An-Nisa, they speak of a lot of different rulings, legal rulings. On page 79, at the top of it, verse number 12, you have a whole bunch of rules regarding inheritance, okay? Now someone might listen to all this and all the different uh, shares that inheritors get, and they might be like, you know what, who cares? Like, come on, we just want to, let's just divide it up the way we want. Um, and they might not care too much about these things. But the verse that we're going to talk about, it refers to these rules, or the verses that we discussed, they're going to refer to these rules as Hududullah, the, the, the red lines of Allah, the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Hudud, this term isn't used for all, all laws of God in the Qur'an. There will be specific rules that are very important to Allah, that Allah refers to as Hududullah. Like these are the ones you never want to cross because you can get in deep trouble for doing such. Verses number 13 and 14 of Surah An-Nisa. So verse 13 has to do with Jannah, and then uh, verse number 14 has to do with Jahannam and the fire. All right. The verses, uh, they are as follows. تِلْكَ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ يُدْخِلْهُ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا وَذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمِ وَمَنْ يَعْصِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَتَعَدَّ حُدُودَهُ يُدْخِلْهُ نَارًا خَالِدًا فِيهَا وَلَهُ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ These are Allah's bounds and boundaries. And whoever obeys Allah and His Apostle, he shall admit him to gardens with streams running in them to remain in them forever. Have you noticed it keeps bringing up this matter of eternity? Super important. That is the great success. So that was verse 13. Verse 14 says, But whoever disobeys Allah and his, and his Apostle and transgresses the bounds set by Allah, he shall make him enter a fire to remain in it forever. Na'udhu Billah. And there will be a humiliating punishment for him. Okay, so first thing that I got to mention here is that look at how much importance is given to these rules. God is not going to say that, look, uh, as long as you love me, you know, uh, you're set and things like that. We don't have that concept in Islam. Just, just loving ain't going to be enough. You got to do c certain things as well. And we've talked about this before. قُلْ إِن تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ Or إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ I'm not uh, sure about the wording. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ I think that's what the wording of the verse is. We had this page before where the Prophet ﷺ is ordered to tell the people uh, to if they love Allah and they want Allah to love them back, they have to follow the Prophet. And what does the Prophet tell them? The Prophet tells them these kinds of rules that we're just talking about. <laughs> the hududullah, the bounds and boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to go by them. Now someone might say, no, 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 love, for me all that matters is love. Well, just loving is not going to be enough for you to evade and avoid Jahannam, and eternal Jahannam. So this shows the importance of the laws. That's the first thing that I want to mention here. 
But if you pay attention to the wording, brothers and sisters, um, it says whoever obeys God, whoever disobeys God. But from the punishment and reward that the verses are mentioning, what we can deduce is that not just one time, if I don't observe if I don't observe one of the rules and laws of God just once, does that mean I'm going to be in the hellfire forever? That's what the verse is saying, or might you know, seem to be saying for some to some, but that's not the case. From the punishment or the reward, which is great, which is eternity in both Jahannam or Jannah, what we deduce is that a person who doesn't take these things serious at all, something like that. So in other words, what we're going to get out of these verses is that not observing the red lines of Allah, the hududullah, can lead to eternity in hellfire. The same way taking them serious and observing them can and has what it takes to take you to Jannah forever. So obedience of God when it comes to His red lines, yes, has the potential to get you Jannah all in all. And disobeying His hudud, not taking His hudud serious, has the potential to re take you to a point and make you reach a point where you are going to be in the hellfire forever. And this is exactly why I am always stressing on the wajib and haram so much, brothers and sisters, because this is what I've heard our greats say all the time. No one's saying to not worry about makruh or mustahab. No one's saying that. What we're saying is that we have to make sure we got that down first. We've taken care of the wajib and haram properly first before we spend a lot of time on other things or else we haven't gotten our priorities right and we can get in trouble for that. Of course, once again, like okay, if we have the Knights of Qadr coming up, for example, just because I am a person who struggles with a sin doesn't mean that, okay, I shouldn't be you know, doing a mustahab act of a'mal on the Knights of Qadr. That's not the point here, brothers and sisters. But what I'm trying to say right now is these are the priority we have to really focus our energy and efforts on hududullah and figuring what we're going to do there first and then worrying about a lot of other things because this can really cause problems and this is why our greats they have said to have taqwa meaning to observe uh, the, the, the commands of Allah and uphold the commands of Allah equals the key to jannah if a person has taken care of their wajib and haram properly, they leave this dunya as a person who took care of their wajib and haram. And if, if they ever messed up, they did tawbah uh, that we'll talk about inshallah uh, very soon, maybe in our next session. If, uh, if this is what they left this dunya with, they have the key to jannah. That's what our ulama are saying based on Quran and hadith. And at the same time, this verse is letting us know that sin has what it takes to get us into Jahannam forever. Uh, we have a verse for that, which I find very uh, to, to, to be a very important verse. verse. It says, We've covered this verse before. We didn't have a page for it or a lesson for it. In passing, uh, we discussed it. That the fate and destiny, the ultimate outcome for those who did bad things was that they denied God's signs, right? They went against Allah Himself. That's how bad sin is. Sin, det it, 
as a result of sin, the soul deteriorates, brothers and sisters. And so sin has to be taken very, very serious. Hududullah have to be taken very, very serious. These hududullah, inshallah, once they are taken serious, okay, the little mistakes we make here and there, Allah, inshallah, will forgive. And we'll have a lesson on that as well, um, probably in our next session, inshallah ta'ala. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma nawwir qulubana bil Qur'an wa zayyin akhlaqana bil Qur'an wa najjina minal nari bil Qur'an wa adkhilna al jannata bil Qur'an Allahumma ij'alil Qur'an lana fi dunya qarina wa fil qabri munisa wa ala sirati nura wa fil jannati rafiqa wa minal nari sitra wa hijaba wa ila al khayrati kulliha dalila برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته